Karen as well for reading that. She's like, thanks for the long chapter you gave me. <laughs> it wasn't even the whole chapter. <laughs> but you know, it was really helpful for me because I read over this stuff all week, but it was amazing to hear it spoken over a... No worries. <laughs> it was amazing to hear it spoken over a silent crowd and go, whoa, like there's a lot going on there, Jesus. And so as I was reading this stuff this week, it reminded me of, I've told you before, I'm reading through the Bible with my friend Levy, a Romanian guy who now lives in Dublin, and he really, he just came to faith over the last few weeks reading through John. And then when we finished John, he's like, so what else can we read through? And so now we're reading through Genesis. And he's, okay, keep in mind he's never read any of this stuff before. And so we're a third of the way into Genesis, Genesis 14, 15, and he texts me on Tuesday morning and he says, Paul, circumcision? Is this for today? <laughs> I could just imagine like, and actually he texted in the middle of the night, so I got it the next morning, and I could imagine his eyes in the middle of the night as he's thinking, oh my goodness, is Paul going to tell me I need to get circumcised? <laughs> no, thankfully I didn't tell him that. But it reminded me that we have a huge advantage. If you've grown up in the church, you have a huge advantage because you hear all of this story in light of the whole thing. Right from when we were kids, we hear all the stories from beginning to end. We avoid Revelation most of the time because it's mostly confusing but awesome. Um, but we hear all of it in light of all of it. We don't just hear bits, which is totally different than Levy. As it was amazing watching him go through the journey through John and come to faith. And, and now he's going through Genesis. And he's like, whoa. But hearing in him and reading it through with him has reminded me that that's what was happening as the people of Jesus' day, almost 2,000 years ago, were, were hearing this stuff. And then even Levi has an advantage over them because he went through in 21 days John, so he knows how the story, where it goes to. He knows the culmination of the story. But the people in Jesus' day had no idea, couldn't have imagined the culmination of the story. They wouldn't have dreamt the culmination of the story. And we have to remember that when we read these things. Because we, we hear it and we're like, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But the people of Jesus' day were like, when we heard, are you kidding me? Like, what are you saying? So as we enter the passage today, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Is it up there, Grant? Next one. We're in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, Jesus has been... Uh, around, for about a, well, around in, his, in his mission time for about a year. He's traveled through Galilee. He's been healing some people. He's been hanging out with people that were not expected to hang out with. He's been hanging out with normal people, with broken people, with poor people. And he's preached the good news of the kingdom to these people, which was completely unexpected. And then he brought what the good news, the kingdom. The good news was repent for the kingdom of God is near. And maybe that's the one bit that was expected because the prophets always said repent. But he wasn't saying it to the kings. He wasn't saying it to the religious leaders. He wasn't just talking to the important people. He was talking to average, ordinary folk, which wasn't expected. And the people must have been hanging on his absolute every word because of that. And it was even, it was powerful having Aaron read that this morning as there was just total silence. And I imagine for some of us going, like, that was pretty tough stuff. Like, did Jesus really, is this what he expects of us? 
So can, you can imagine the silence in the crowd as he's been encouraging them, as he's been healing them, and the anticipation of what Jesus is going to say next. Like, come on, more of this, more, well, be, before what we heard this morning. But then what we heard this morning was what Jesus said next. And he takes this massive U-turn. And as, I re- as, as we hear it, I can imagine the people just giving this collective, oh, like, Jesus, that was not what I was expecting you to say. I'm sure the people were hoping that he would have taken the weight of the law off their shoulders. They had this massive weight of the law, all these rules, hundreds of rules that no one was able to keep. And they were hoping that Jesus would take this weight of the law off their shoulders. They were hoping that they would, he would free them from judgment. You know, he's been right with the poorest of the poor. He's in fact just done that. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry. Oh yeah, not the Pharisees, but all us broken ones. We're the ones that are blessed. Then what? So when Jesus starts with this stuff, there must have been this just collective, oh, Jesus, this is not what I was expecting. And, and again, I think about my friend Levy as he's reading through John, and you know, he's reading John 3 and then John 10 and all these different places. Literally, the text, and I'm going to read you a few of them later, was like, really? Forgiveness for me? Like me? Jesus is talking to me. But then he's just reading through Genesis, really? Circumcision? (laughs) Me? Is that that what's for me? And and that's the journey that's going on here. So then, when Jesus starts to read Matthew 5, 17 on, you can just imagine the collective uh, of the people. And I want to read some of this again. So Matthew 5, 17 and 18. I'm just going to read it in bits as we go to repeat what Aaron said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I know you're expecting that. But I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Ugh. Kidding me? We see those guys. We can't do that. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Verse 19. Therefore, if anyone who sets aside one of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, what? <laughs> What about that before that? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry. We like that bit, God, but Jesus, they didn't know he was God yet. But what? But he goes on. Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses those of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that line this morning and go, what? But we know the rest of the story, and we still hear it and go, what? Can you imagine the 
the deflation, the devastation for these people as they would have heard those words. These people would have not even considered themselves, they wouldn't even have compared themselves to the Pharisees, let alone thought were equal or surpassing them. The Pharisees were like the Premier League players, and these guys weren't in the championship, they weren't in the first division, they were, they were like the non-league side that plays Man City in the FA Cup. They wouldn't even have thought they had hoped, they were just happy to be there and get the paycheck. But at this point, it's so important for us, I think, to try to wrestle with this because I think this is a reality for us as well. I'm sure some people sitting here or you've heard it in friends of yours, the reality that we think about this Christian thing, we think about that church thing, you think about the people that are sitting beside you, you think about the people you know, and you say, I can't, I can't do this Christian thing. I know that's great for you, Paul, that's great for you, Suzanne, that's great for you, whoever else, but I, I can't do that Christian thing. You don't know me. And as I was reading through this this week, I thought of, it must be 10, 12, 15, 15 years ago now. I was on a course uh, with a guy, I forget his name now. It was a youth work course. And um, it was called Living with Diversity. And this one guy in the course was kind of one of the leaders of it, was a former Protestant paramilitary guy. And he'd spent time in prison for murder. Unbelievable. Um, Grew up in a brethren Christian home, amazing godly parents. And the first, I'm not standing on a squeaky floorboard there. And the first time his parents knew he was part of a Protestant paramilitary group was when the police arrived at his door, 19 years old, to arrest him for murder. Can you imagine that as a parent? And this guy said to me, Paul, you know, I was on this course and it was a, a lot, of, it was about diversity, but it was really just about Protestants and Catholics, which I was a bit disappointed with because if you live anywhere else in the world, you know, or here now even, you know, there's a lot, a lot more to diversity than that. <laughs> but became good friends with him. But he said to me a few times, Paul, and I shared my life and story and with the guys, but he said to me a few times, Paul, yeah, that Christianity stuff is great for you. It's great for people like you, but it's, it, I, I cannot do that stuff. And it was interesting, he said that a few times throughout the course. And it was not till I sat down one night, probably on the third residential or something, in the harbor bar in Newcastle with him, and had a glass of orange juice with him, uh, that, and we started sharing our stories, that he actually saw, I wasn't a murderer, I hadn't spent time in jail, but he actually saw an ordinary guy, Paul, who had done ordinary, rubbish, stupid things, that he could finally come to grips again with a bit of the story of the faith of me, but also the faith of his parents. It wasn't till he met that reality. And that's this guy living with diversity, been through murder. And in fact, he, he said, you know, murder in some ways was the least of what I did. The other stuff is pretty horrible. But you can imagine what this crowd must have felt like. He wasn't even just comparing themselves to me. Jesus was saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, bait and switch. I knew it, Jesus. I knew you were just drawing us in with that blessed, blessed, blessed stuff. I knew this was the real story. But this is a huge, important thing for us. Because Jesus didn't come to say that the, God's law was useless. Jesus didn't come to write it off. Jesus didn't come to say that it was stupid, just ignore it. 
Jesus actually came to fulfill every aspect of God's law. All of it. Next verse up here. Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest like that. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So Jesus is piling the law on them. But what they don't know is that he came to fulfill every aspect of this law. They don't know that yet. But Jesus continues. Verse 18, he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. But their question and our question would have been, okay, Jesus, great. When is everything going to be accomplished? Is that at the end? Is that, you know, after the Pharisees? Is that when we're all dead? When's everything accomplished? And the problem is they didn't know this. Stick the next verse up. Later in the story, John 19.30. It's the picture of Jesus on the cross. And it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He spent hours on the cross. He's breathing his last breath. And it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I was thinking that must have been, this may seem weird to think, but that must have been Jesus' absolute best moment on earth. He had been through unbelievable things. He'd probably been through some Great things on our standards, but he'd been away from his father a long, heaven a long time. He's like now an ultra marathon runner, cro- beyond, times a thousand, crossing the finish line. He's breathed his last breath. He's suffered for hours and finally he breathes and he says, it is finished. And he gives up his breath and he dies. That must have been an incredible moment. And this is kind of not important, but the Greek word, tetalast, Teta, last, next slide, you can see it and say it for yourself. (laughs) That one word, that's the word Jesus said. It is finished. And it means it's accomplished. It's a market term, actually, for finishing a transaction. It's paid. It's complete. It's executed. It's concluded. It's this strong word. It is accomplished. All of that. Our separation from God, the brokenness of that is accomplished. The law of God, all those hundreds of rules, accomplished. Our debt, everything, all of those things you think of when you think about sin, finished, covered. And of course, then I think about my friend. But what about those things I've done, Paul? so many things when murder is the least of them that powerful word it is finished but what about those things I've said to my friends to my mom to my kids to my wife to my husband those things that it's over but what about those things I've looked at 
I've seen or I've gone in pursuit of looking at, those things that have crossed my eyes, it's covered. But what? And that's the power of the statement, it's finished, it's over, it's paid, it's accomplished. And so when my friend asked Paul, that Christianity thing is great for you, but it's not good for me. You know what I've done. That's the powerful part of the story. It's finished. It's covered. That's why I called today that the Jesus way is too good to be you. It's not too good to be true, (laughs) but it's too good to be you. But even though it is, God died for you to give it to you. And that's a powerful and amazing truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21 say this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And this is a powerful line, 21. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for you so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now the huge dilemma is, remember back to these people in Jesus' day, they didn't know any of this stuff yet. And Jesus had just said to them, what did he say to them? For I tell you, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. What? That's the guys we don't, like they're just. But I think God's righteousness slightly surpasses that of the Pharisees. And they didn't know that, so we can, they must have just been totally confused and baffled on this day. We know that, but we forget it again and again and again. I always go back to something Gordon said years ago, vision leaks, truth leaks. And we need to remember and be reminded of that truth again and again and again. When the worst of you rears its ugly head, or the worst of me, (laughs) and it will, this week maybe, (laughs) do we know that it's finished, that it's accomplished? And in those moments, even right after, can we remember that truth and simply say, sorry God, sorry God, or even beyond that, simply just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know what I just did or what I wanted to do or what I thought or what I said. God, it's finished. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that doesn't mean consequences aren't to be dealt with in life and interpersonally, but that's the reality. Thank you, Jesus. It's finished. And as I suppose as I say that, I realize we come in from a week. We come in from a morning. And that's maybe something that we need to do as we sit here this morning. Whatever happened in your family, whatever happened at your home on your own, 
God, I recognize that. I'm sorry. But all I can say is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But as we sit with this crowd, they have no idea of that stuff. And they won't know for a couple years, actually probably more than that, until the apostles start reproducing what Jesus said for them. And we feel sympathy for them, but then I also think of my friend Levy and watching him go through the excitement of this journey as it's unfolded to him. And the excitement of the highs that go with it, but also the tension of the lows that really make him examine. And Jesus goes on. And he doesn't let up. The story goes on, and we heard it with Aaron. And what we get next is a series of things. We're not going to go through all of them. We're just going to look briefly at two of them. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said this, but I tell you this. You've heard that it was said, this specific law, but I tell you this. And one part of what Jesus is doing is, Basically saying, you've heard that it said this, but I'm telling you right now that my voice is the authority. If you want to know how to interpret God's word, don't go to the Pharisees or religious leaders. They've been in place for a time. You were to listen to them for a time, but now I'm the authority in this stuff. And without saying it directly, Jesus was laying out something for them that they were going to learn in, in decades to come through the teachings of the apostles. He was saying, it's actually not about the letter of the law. We've been trying to live the letter of the law for too long, but it's about the spirit of the law. Paul teaches much later in 2 Corinthians, it's not going to come up there, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter, just trying, how do I perfectly achieve that rule? That kills but the spirit of the law gives life. And we know this, but the amazing thing is Jesus was actually going to fulfill the letter of the law, but he was also going to give us a spirit to fulfill the law. And then Jesus goes on from here with this. You've heard this, but I say this. So 521, we'll just go through a couple of them. 521, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And again, my imagination goes, I'm reading through this stuff, and I can imagine them going, oh, great, oh, this is what he was talking about. Whew! Other than my friend. Okay, if he's just going to talk about murder, we're, we're safe, guys. We're, we're okay here. We're back on stable ground. But he doesn't stop there. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What? Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Or it says it again. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. And they've gone from, ah, to, what? And then after dealing with anger, one of our most base emotions, he goes on to lust, one of our most base desires. 527, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the crowd goes, oh, 
And Jesus didn't pull back. He didn't pull punches. He just laid it out and laid it out and laid it out. But what he's doing is that by by dealing with these base things of anger and lust, he's showing by no stretch of the imagination that the law cannot be fulfilled. The law cannot be fulfilled in, in uh, in its fullness. And he's also telling us that, guys, the the law, all these 400-some laws are about action and consequences, are about what a situation arises and what you do in that situation. But Jesus is actually bringing it so much closer to home than that. He's telling us that God sees your heart. Not just the fact that you did or didn't do that. In that situation, I didn't do this. Or in that situation, I did that. He's saying, I see your intentions. I see your heart. I see your motives in this. And this is important, I I think, as as it sat with these people. That later on, they can recognize and we can recognize that the God of the universe sees my heart. What's really in there. The God of the universe sees my intentions. The God of the universe knows what I've thought about you, what I've thought about saying to my wife, what I've thought about or looked at or done. The God of the universe knows that. But he still loves me so much that with compassion, he came and walked and talked and healed and died. The letter of the law kills but the Spirit gives life. I think it's in that recognition that God did that despite that our lives are transformed, not by what we're trying to accomplish. And I totally, it's been amazing going on this journey with my friend Levy, and I'm going to read out a few of the texts that he sent me over the last while because it, it, it gives a picture of this journey that many of us have gone through over a long period of time but also many of us went through so long ago that we forget the journey. So these texts started two months ago. And I'm just going to take quote snippets out of them. When he first read John chapter 1 and 2, I am so dirty in God's eyes, I don't deserve it. Later, I'm scared about God's love and power. How can he love us so much when we rejected him and live in darkness. I love the honesty of that. A bit later, I need to be at church, Paul, and spend more time with Jesus. Nothing makes sense more than to be thankful to God for everything that we have. It's just reading through John. Later, Jesus is amazing the way he teaches us. I've been in darkness a long time. It's time to let him guide me the way he wants because before I was blind. Jesus has a way of love like I have never experienced before. And then I think around 17 or something, John 17, I believe and trust him with my whole life. This is just God's word speaking to him. And then something that applies to the passage today, which we're not going to deal with. Jesus called us to love everyone. It is sometimes impossible to love your enemies, but God has the same love. 
for everyone. How amazing is that journey that this guy has gone on? And what I love about it is it's not a journey of Levy coming to grips with the rule of Christianity. Oh, Paul, now I've had, I figured this out. So if I don't do this, and if I do this, and if I avoid that, then well, I'm sorted, right? I've got my ticket, right? It's not a journey of rules at all. It's a journey of seeing the reality and the power and the love and the grace of God and his heart being transformed by that, but also his actions and his life and his connections being transformed by that. And that's what God is calling us to. And that's what God is calling us to share. And, and what I love about this journey with Levi, it's, it's not me sharing it, it's just the Bible sharing it with him as we read through you version. So I just want to read three verses, three short passages as we close that I think speak the truth of this passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Acts 1.8, but there's more than just that. There's more than just truth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, life. Then Romans 12, this passage we know so well, speaks about how do we step into that now? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all this truth, in view of all this reality, to offer you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. You, me, we, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And it's holy. And it's pleasing. Sorry, it's good. And it's pleasing. And it's perfect. And the reality is, that's not something that happened to me 25 years ago. Well, it partly is. <laughs> but it's also this ongoing process that's going to happen to me and to you until the day we die. And so we're, when we're real, that's an ongoing process that's happening right now, this week, this morning, on Tuesday, on Friday night. And so... The practical question to leave out of this is here's the truth and the reality and the power and the grace and the love of God. How, how do we respond? What's that thing? As Jesus calls us higher and higher and further and further, not to be rules, but to give life. What's that thing that you and I need to lay down before him as a sacrifice to God? Offer your body. Renew and transform your mind because God's will is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. The Jesus way is too good to be you. But that's not bad news. Well, it potentially is bad news if you're just going to stay there. 
But it's unbelievable good news that God knows that. And he says, come. He says, follow me. It's not going to pop up there, but I want to read one more scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're forgiven. We're made new, holy, righteous, pure, clean because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in this new and good way. God, help us to hear that. And my prayer is for someone who needs to hear that the first time this morning. God, open ears open hearts, open souls. And for those of us that need to, all of us that need to continually rehear it, Holy Spirit, speak. going to leave a bit of time for that, the, the power of God's word to sit with us. And then Suzanne and the guys are going to come up and sing one more song. As always, myself, the guys that lead worship, the person sitting beside you, the person who served you coffee, the person who welcomed you at the door are here to pray and to sit and to listen because we want God to engage our hearts. So let's engage with him.